You are listening to The Concierge on Monocle Radio, coming up on today's programme. We trek the Atacama Desert in Chile. As I find out, these deserts are filled with wildlife. On this trip alone, I saw all four of the six camelids that exist. Llamas, alpacas, vicuñas and guanacos. Our travel experts answer your globe-trotting questions and bring you all the latest travel headlines. We pitch our toughest questions at boutique hotel expert and founder of The Aficionados, Ian Ainsworth. And we explore the treasures of Newport, Rhode Island. The oldest continuously-run restaurant in the United States, where it's candle-lit with tablecloths and cosy in the spring. It's housed in a grand red barn-looking building. That is all coming up on The Concierge in association with Allianz Partners. And welcome to The Concierge on Monocle Radio with me, Robert Bound. And The Concierge this week um, is going a little bit meta because, of course, we're going to speak to a concierge right at the top of the programme. And I'm joined on the line by Christina Bally, a private concierge based in beautiful Basel in Switzerland. Christina, welcome to the programme. Lovely to have you on The Concierge today. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. Uh, well, it's great. You sound as clear as a bell in beautiful Basel. I can almost hear the Rhine tickling your feet as we start the top of the programme. So first things first, as uh, we'll continue with normal service here on The Concierge, where was your passport last stamp, Christina? I went to Marrakesh, staying at a really, really lovely Riyadh, like I guess everybody does when you travel to Morocco. It's difficult to resist, um, isn't it? I had a good chance to stay privately, actually. I was invited by a very good friend next to the royal palace. I was very well hosted by local people taking me around the souks, going golfing, what I never did before, but... We tried and it was lovely <laughs> and uh, we visited nice little hotels and things to see. There's a lot to see in Marrakesh, actually. And uh, tell us, we're going to zoom back from Marrakesh back to Basel, which is springing into life, I presume, at this time of the year. Tell us how you're gearing up for the summer months and some of the things that perhaps are new in town, a couple of the classics and a couple of the things that are launching in 2023 that you'll be recommending to your guests and your clients this year. Yeah, there's actually a few new places to be open now when spring's hopefully coming soon. Along the river, again, there is a new restaurant opening right where the big Novartis campus is. Very curious. They're doing Japanese fusion food. They even have a nightclub. I'm curious what type of music they will be playing. And they doing a connection with a place just across the river and hopefully they will have a boat so you can go from the restaurant across to the river and there is an old industrial crane they made up to be a bar and as well if the weather is nice having some music and like a dancing platform so this is probably the thing I'm most curious about this year what is new and then we have the festival on the river with different musicians, not big bands, but little tiny unknown musicians coming from all over the world. So this is always very interesting. Well, thank you, Christina. And I'm sure all of us here at the Concierge and indeed our listeners feel enlightened by having you in their little black book. So thank you very much. Christina Bally on the line from Basel. And Christina is a private concierge. Thanks a lot, Christina.
Well, it's time on the concierge to launch the concierge service. And how do we know that the concierge service is open for business? Because of this sound. And first up is Julia Springolo from Toronto. Um, Julia, it is lovely to have you on the line. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for writing in as well. Is it yet, this early in the year, holiday weather in Toronto? You know, you've hit us just as the weather started to turn. So tomorrow it's actually forecasted to be 21 degrees. So (laughs) it's getting up there and it was like, under 10 degrees last week so (laughs) quick change all right so toronto is almost in the season of bees and blossom but not quite perhaps almost all right okay so i believe you're off to france on your holidays so would you like to offer your question up to one of our concierges um please do so now i would love to so my husband and i are planning a trip to france and we're not quite sure of the right itinerary we've only done paris in the past So we're looking for some advice. What is the ideal trip plan to relax, but still get the best experience? And as another note, we are foodies, to use that terrible word. So any recommendations on restaurants or must-taste dishes would be great. Well, thank you, Julia, for your question. And to answer it on the line from Dijon is Annick Weber, who is a writer for Monocle based in France. Hello, Julia. Thank you so much for your question. If we had to choose one region for a French foodie trip, it would be Burgundy. You can start your trip in the capital of Bourgogne, Dijon, which is easy to get to from Paris by TGV. Since last year, the city is home to a new gastronomic centre, the Cité de la Gastronomie, which houses several restaurants, an exhibition space and a food court selling made-in-France products. Think cheeses, pâtisserie, wine and, of course, mustard. While until recently Burgundian food was leaning heavily on the traditional side, in the last few years a new generation of chefs has been putting a fresh spin on the classics. The best example for this is Chibot in Dijon, which got a Michelin star within just four months of opening. The tasting menus are fresh, seasonal and product driven, with all ingredients sourced from within 200 kilometers of the restaurant. You won't be finding snails or boeuf bourguignon here, but instead lots of fragrant, locally grown herbs and fresh river fish. Once you've eaten your way around Dijon, we'd suggest you head south towards Beaune. Ideally, on a bike, because there's no better way to help you work up an appetite again than by cycling. The 40km cycle is mainly flat and on bike lanes that take you through some of Burgundy's most renowned vineyards, such as Gevray-Chambertin, and Nuit Saint-Georges. You can stop for lunch along the way and get to Beaune for aperitif time, which in Burgundy will most likely consist of kir, white wine mixed with crème de cassis. For dinner, head to Cave Madeleine, a convivial wine bar serving honest French food at one big communal table. You can spend the night in Beaune, and if you happen to be there on a Friday night, you can look forward to visiting the city's colourful Saturday market in the morning. For the remainder of your holiday, check in at Papotte, a new architect-designed guesthouse located in an old mill in a typical Burgundian village close to Bonn. The houses are surrounded by fields and a vegetable garden where you can pick your own dinner ingredients. And breakfast is served at Papotte's very own épicerie café, where you can sample jams, teas and other delights from local producers. 
Bon voyage. And that was Anique Weber giving us that missive from the culinary delights of Dijon. Julia, has that, that, that made me exceptionally hungry listening to that here in the studio. <laughs> has that ticked some of your foodie boxes and some of your vacation boxes generally? Yeah. Oh, my God, this is great. We actually hadn't dug that deep into Burgundy. So this is amazing. And I think the subtext of Anique's broadcast there was basically it's a wine tasting trip as well. Were you getting that vibe? I was getting that vibe with the bike. She was she said that the Definitely. the best way to see the floor and fauna is on a bike, but I think what she meant was just don't drink and drive. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Well, that's why the cycling was in there, right? <laughs> exactly. It's a beautiful part of the world. That was Julia Springolo from Toronto. Thank you very much indeed. Bon voyage to Julia. And next up, Olivia McCardle from Sydney in Australia has this question. Dear Monocle, my partner and I are headed to Japan in early April for a much-anticipated 10-day trip. We're planning to focus on Tokyo and Kyoto. Any recommendations for must-see sites and restaurants? Many thanks. And with the Japanese lowdown is none other than Fiona Wilson, Monocle's Tokyo Bureau Chief. I'm a big fan of looking at Tokyo from above, whether that's from Tokyo Tower, Tokyo Sky Tree or Mori Tower in Roppongi Hills, which has a viewing deck and an art museum. Do that first and take in the scale of the city. On a clear day, you'll be able to see Mount Fuji. I like all the big, obvious sites in Tokyo, Meiji Shrine, Sensoji Temple in Asakusa and the National Museum in Ueno. But if you want to see a few places that are not on a regular route, I would look in on Tsukiji Honganji, a lively Buddhist temple in Tsukiji, whose architecture borrows from India and China. It has a restaurant serving Buddhist cooking, a tea lounge and a well-stocked bookshop. The world's biggest fish market, which was next door, has moved out now. But you might still want to shop for cups, plates and bowls at Ichifuji, a useful shop to know. Kyoto is a wonderful city, but it can be reticent. It doesn't always offer up its charms easily. Everyone has their favourite temples, but there are a few more awe-inspiring sights in the 1001 statues of Kanon, the goddess of mercy, in the ancient temple of Sanju Sangendo. My biggest Kyoto recommendation would be to get up early. If you can be up and out at 6am, you will have places such as Kiyomizudera, one of Kyoto's great sites, and Keninji, the city's oldest Zen temple, almost to yourself. By 9am, the crowds have arrived and the spell is broken. Pay a visit to the Kyoto City Kyocera Museum. The old building was renovated by the top Japanese architect Junaoki, and it hosts interesting art exhibitions. If the weather is warm, I like to sit on the stepping stones that cross the Kamo, the river that runs through the centre of the city. For shopping, I go straight to the stationery shop Kyukyodo to stock up on postcards and small gifts. Kyukyodo opened in the 17th century and is still family-run. I also love Aritsugu, a famous knife shop favoured by Japanese chefs. They will engrave your name in Japanese on the handle and the knife will last for years. Kyoto Kaiseki, multi-course Japanese cooking, is unbeatable. Centuries of practice have honed this extraordinary seasonal cuisine. Dinners are expensive and justifiably so, but lunch is a great deal. I'm happy with a counter seat at Muramachi Wakuden. If you have time, I highly recommend a day trip to Nara. Wander among the deer and see some of the oldest wooden buildings in the world. Have a great trip. Thanks, Fiona. And of course, thank you to Olivia McArdle from Sydney in Australia for that question. Bon voyage to you, Olivia. And if you have a question for the concierge, write to us. And that address is concierge at monocle.com. 
Now we move on to The Interrogator, the moment in the programme where we speak to a renowned global talent from the travel and aviation world. This week, we speak to Ian Ainsworth, founder of The Aficionados, an online collection of tightly edited and creatively inspired hotels, houses and villas based in Europe. And here he tells Monocle about what his brand is all about and the escapes he continues to return to. Twelve years ago, I decided to create a club of the hotels that I liked. The hotels are all family-owned, all got a strong sense of soul and ethos. Not necessarily overly designed, but just got something about them when you walk in. It's that je ne sais quoi of, this is a great place. We now have 93 places, essentially all in Europe. Uh, there's strong concentration in South Tyrol, throughout the Alps. They range from one bedroom up to 70 bedrooms. I don't like the word curating because, you know, everybody wants to use this buzzword, but it is that. It's a really great community of hotels and basically we give them a concessionary space online and offline where they can be featured. And we knit them together in very unusual ways because we're not really looking at sort of last minute deals or, you know, the best hotels in Mallorca. It's more about there's this one in Mallorca, there's this one in Tuscany, there's this one up in the Alps that you need to know about. And whilst they're all completely different from each other, there is a thread of DNA that connects them. So it's a sort of familiarity. There was a gap in the market for, if I owned a property, what would I need? How do you get that right customer in there that's going to walk through the doors and go, OK, this is an Eames, this is this, this is this, this is 300 years old, I love it. You know, these tactile people that touch everything. And reaching them up until then, there's always these classical booking models, you know, you book online and that's it. But nobody was actually taking the hotels and bringing them to the front line and saying, you know, this is something different. So that's how it started. I just wanted to probably collect only like five hotels. And it's just grown and grown since then. I'm fortunate because I've also operated hotels in the past. So I have a background knowledge of, of how to operate a hotel, but I also know how to fill one. And the difference, I suppose, the point of difference between us and a lot of the others is they've never actually been on that other side where you have to fill a hotel with the right people at the right ADR rate and throughout the year and look at new markets. So I didn't go in and say, yeah, I'm another channel. But what I did say is, what are you doing pre and post season? If you tell stories and tell people why they should go there, then I think they bond with you. So then we get the following. And it works. It's a new business model in the industry. Everyone said you're crazy at the beginning, you know, without a booking engine commissions, you're not going to succeed. But we're still here 12 years later and we're doing very well. One of my new discoveries this year was on the island of Syros. For those of you not quite aware of this, it's in Cyclades. You can fly to Mykonos and then take the ferry, which is 40 minutes across the water. Completely different island, of course. It was the capital of the Cyclades, so it's got a lot of architectural features about it. It's a Venetian style. And the Aristides Hotel, which you can find online with us, is a beautiful little boutique hotel. It was a derelict townhouse, which is converted into seven suites with a fabulous rooftop. I always go back to Brooker 49 in Vals. You're always surrounded by fascinating people at breakfast time. We've got over 30 hotels in the Alps. Some of them are in third generation, so they've sort of got a bit of grandma interior to the grandchildren's interior, so a nice real mix of properties there. Again, from small guest houses like Villa Floor in Engadine, seven suites, up to the larger properties like the Shagula Hotel in South Tyrol. We've got a lot of spa hotels there as well, which I think is really, really great. So you can mix a little bit of ski and spa. 
a lot of people think I don't ski, I don't go to the Alps, which is a mistake. For one, the air is fantastic, the food is fantastic. And there's lots of other activities that you can do there. And there's particularly like in Engadine and St. Moritz, there's a great art gallery scene. So if you're into the arts and cultures, that's another reason to hit the Alps. My thanks to Ian Ainsworth of the aficionados there. Stay with us on the concierge as we head off to Chile. Next up, it is the Lowdown, our spotlights on a destination that should definitely be on your itinerary. Today, we're heading to Chile's remote Atacama Desert. Nestled between the Andes and the Pacific Ocean, it's known for aridity, breathtaking landscapes, unique wildlife and magical starry skies. Monocle's Lisbon correspondent, Gaia Lutz, took a trip to the edge of the world to bring us this report. The 4x4 Ford van was waiting for me at the airport. After a two-hour flight from Santiago, I had finally arrived at Calama, a mining town at over 2,000 meters above sea level, and my starting point into the Atacama Desert. Out of the window, a seemingly infinite stretch of ochre earth and rocks. Up above, a blue sky with not a single cloud in sight. Save the polar regions, this is the driest place on earth, with an average precipitation of less than one millimeter annually. The Atacama is also the highest desert in the world. The car brushed up clouds of red dust and the road ahead shimmered under the scorching sun. At the far, far distance, you could just make out the snow-capped mountains of the Andes, the midday sun being too bright to give them proper contours. In this vast, arid expanse, the only thing crystal clear was the line where the brownish-reddish earth met the light blue sky. After an hour of nothing but earth and dust, the scenery outside began to change. We had entered the oasis of San Pedro de Atacama, in the midst of the driest, most hostile of places, little sanctuaries exist where water flows, trees grow, birds sing, and life flourishes. Atacameños have settled in the small village of San Pedro with its simple houses made of clay for centuries, growing crops like maize and herding llamas. Today, tourism runs the show here, with every house we pass by being either a hostel, restaurant, bar, or souvenir shop with alpaca wool sweaters hanging up front. The Explorer Hotel is a little further outside town, a low-slung building that accompanies the stretch of the horizon. Inside our room, there's no TV or any tech gadgets in sight. The simple yet elegant style plays into the whole ethos of Explorer, and is what its founder, Pedro Ibanez, calls the luxury of the essential to have only those things that are necessary to live in far-flung areas, adverse climates, or in demanding conditions. It makes sense. No one comes all the way to the Atacama, a region as remote as it gets, nestled between the Andes and the Pacific Ocean, for emails and telly, after all. The hotel guests here are properly geared up for adventures. And the real draw of this particular travel experience is not having to do any of the logistics yourself. 
Every evening, guides and guests meet in one of the hotel's common areas to plan the day ahead. As I find out, these deserts are filled with wildlife. On this trip alone, I saw all four of the six camelids that exist. Llamas, alpacas, vicuñas and guanacos, peacefully grazing. As well as viscachas, a rather cute rodent that's somewhere between a rabbit and a squirrel, taking shelter from the sun. Evenings here are spent debriefing the day's activities with other hotel guests over pisco sours and every morning spent chewing on coca leaves for the hangover as you keep the days full of cycling, horseback riding, walking, walking, and more walking. The most impressive thing of this part of the world I find is watching the landscapes shift dramatically. From Mars-like deserts filled with canyons, to expanses of green shrubs crisscrossed by gurgling streams or potent geysers. Through it all, everything is a reminder of the Earth's visceral forces. Looking onto undulating lava fields, one can understand why Atacameños and their ancestors have looked up at Licancabur, the imposing, omnipresent volcano I viewed every day and asked for its protection. My last evening was spent stargazing. Come nighttime, the remoteness of the region and the arid desert atmosphere are a lucky combination of factors that make this one of the best places in the whole world to look up at the heavens above. Never mind I may have fallen asleep as I lay on the ground gazing up at the sky. It's a truly spectacular and unforgettable way to end the trip. From Monaco, in the Atacama Desert, I'm Gaia Lutz. My thanks to Gaia Lutz in the desert there for the concierge. Stay tuned. Coming up next, it's the travel news. Just like the Monocle team, Allianz Partners is committed to helping you build exceptional experiences. Allianz Partners' reputation for excellence and the continuous drive to innovate means the business is uniquely equipped to accompany its partners and customers with their ever-changing travel needs. So get out there and visit the places, enjoy the experiences, and meet the people changing the world of hospitality for the better. Allianz Partners. Get the most out of your experience with peace of mind. Now it is time to introduce our travel expert for today's program, and that is Zina Ben-Sheikh, who's the Managing Director for Europe, the Middle East and Africa of Intrepid Travel. Zina, lovely to have you on the program. So tell us where your passport was last stamped. I mean, stamps for work, there's so many of them. So I'll talk about when it was last stamped for a holiday, a proper holiday, and, and that was Croatia last summer. I went to explore Croatia in a period where Croatia gets quite busy and kind of almost over-visited, but I was very lucky to be able to travel around the country, going from an island to another, but just visiting some of the most remote islands that are less famous, and more particularly one called Lastovo. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, mm -hmm. um, it's less known. It's actually the most remote island of the country. It's only four hours in ferry, 
from splits, but it's actually um, a national park, so protected by the government, and it's, it only has 400 inhabitants. So it feels like you are in the middle of nowhere with, you know, amazing seas, locally owned little guest houses, beautiful local life. You just get immersed into that place and you feel like a, like a local while you're in the middle of the high season for, for this country that gets really, really over-visited. So that was a, a brilliant experience. Thank you for talking us through your passport. So let's go to the travel news. You have some news about Schiphol Airport. Is it banning private jets? Apparently. I mean, I don't know if you know, but they've announced previous to that, they have announced the same airport that they will be cutting flights by 12% to 440,000 by 2024. So it's, it's an airport that's taking a bold stance. We need more of that. We need private sector, but also public sector to come on board with managing that demand and reducing as we are in the meantime, innovating on that, you know, sustainable aviation solutions if they can exist. Well, this radio program will have to land its private plane at another airport. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Zina. What's the news with Finnair? It sounds like they are doing less short haul flights, but, you know, uh, Helsinki continues to be a hub, presumably. Yeah. And again, that's following France. I think it was a couple of years ago in 2020 that actually removed flights when train solutions for two and a half hours were available. And and so, yeah, I guess that's also welcome news. I think that is important. There are countries, for example, China. China represents half of the world's train lines. And there are journeys between Beijing and Guangzhou, for example, which is the same distance than, let's say, New York to Miami, that you can do in train for eight hours. So for me, we should focus on that. We should be focusing on, everyone should be focusing, governments and, and private sectors and travel should be focusing on the solutions. There are solutions. If you think about the US, there's no high-speed train at all yet. So, you know, removing those shorter flights is important. Get thee to thy train, according to Finnair and Zina. And finally, Zina, things are exploding in Egypt, hotel development. I mean, we've heard a lot about Marrakesh and Morocco. Egypt is the other sort of North African country that's on the tip of everyone's lips. What's the story here? Well, Egypt has been through very challenging times. We've seen the Arab Spring in, you know, from January 2011 until 2017-18, the country was was in a dark space. And then as soon as stability came back, Egypt boomed again. It was for us an incredible kind of comeback in terms of growth percentage. And we know it's, it's for the travel industry in general. And now, you know, then the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic is over and Egypt is back and is back even stronger. So I think what happens in Egypt is that it will always come back and it will always be a very popular destination because it, it's just it has the world's best historical sites. It's extremely popular from that perspective, but also it's very accessible from the UK. We struggle in Egypt, I'll be honest with you, with accommodation. So it's good to know that there's acceleration because um, the country has been through a long period of down, downturn. Like it's been very long, that period of Arab Spring. So all of the accommodations just not having any business, the maintenance wasn't done. There's a lot of work for them to do to restart, to actually uh, be in good condition to host all of these people and this demand that's coming to them. But it's good news that it's happening. Perfect. So there is sparkly accommodation on the horizon across Egypt. Zineb Sheik on the line from Marrakesh on behalf of Intrepid Travel. Thank you very much indeed for your travel news. Next up here on the concierge, we're going to Newport, Rhode Island. Thank you. 
Finally, it is time for a letter from our weekly dispatch from our correspondents and contributors from destinations across the globe. This week, Monocle's US editor, Chris Lord, writes to us from Newport, Rhode Island, a historical gem on New England's breathtaking classic coast. Dear Concierge, it happens sometimes in journalism that you just have to wait. Wait for an interview to happen, for access to come through, and so I'm writing to you doing just that, holed up in Newport, Rhode Island. Thousands of sun seekers and second homers will pile into this place over the next few months. Right now, though, it's pleasantly off-season, and so I wanted to send you a few tips in case you find yourself moored up in this affluent corner of the United States. Newport is a New England city on the sea. Think colonial-era cobbled streets and winding lanes awash with old money. There are a few illustrious mansions in the suburbs, too. Local residents include one Taylor Swift, who has a massive pile just down the road. And they said, there goes the last great American dynasty. Start at the White Horse Tavern, the oldest continuously run restaurant in the United States, where it's candle lit with tablecloths and cosy in the spring. It's housed in a grand red barn looking building, and the bar does get a bit snug soon after four o'clock. But this is one of the best wine lists you'll find on the eastern seaboard. Just around the corner is Perro Salado, a Mexican spot run by a husband and wife team. She mixes the margaritas. He whips up south-of-the-border specialties in a clapboard house. And together, they bring an ambience that's a bit like being hosted by friends for dinner. <laughs> for a place to stay, there's no shortage of quaint bed and breakfasts, although some are more eccentric than others. At the Hamilton Hopping House, the staff will tinkle on the grand piano over breakfast and serve whiskies on the Italian at porch. For something more contemporary, the excellent Wayfinder by Dovetail & Co. is being returned to glory, and the owner tells me it'll be back for the June season. The Hotel Viking is a good alternative. It's been in business since 1926, and is a hotel with a few Nordic charms and an excellent rooftop bar. On the seafront, there's a fast ferry to take you to Martha's Vineyard. Of course there is and no shortage of spots for chowder and clams. My suggestion would be to pick up locally made gifts from beauty retailer Shore Soap Company and then take a stroll down Spring Street where Royal Mail will fix you up with an Anglophile's mix of knits and jackets. Stay on Spring Street and you'll end up eventually in the grand suburbs. The grandest of these mansions is the Breakers, once the summer home of the tycoon Vanderbilts. It wasn't quite Gatsby era, when it was built in the 1890s. But that gilded age was what the flappers were harking back to. Between the old lace curtains, you glimpse the real star. The Oceanside Cliff Walk is the perfect vantage point to take this place in and to walk off last night's wine. It's a three-miler fronted by pine trees and the Atlantic Ocean. And concierge, there are worse places to be cast away for a few days. For Monocle in Newport, Rhode Island, I'm Chris Lord.
Thanks, Chris. That was Monocle's US editor with his lovely dispatch from Newport, Rhode Island. And that is it for today's edition of The Concierge. My thanks to our panel, Zina Ben-Sheikh and Christina Ballet. Our producer was Tom Webb. Our researcher here on The Concierge was Monica Lillis. And our studio manager, Steph Chungu, with editing by Jack Dewars. If you have a question for The Concierge, do drop us an email on concierge at monocle.com. We're going on a little holiday of our own right now, but join us next time in just a few weeks when we'll be back in Tokyo, New York and Lisbon to name just a few cities. I've been Robert Bounds and thank you very much for tuning in. And of course, happy travels. Thank you.